worship and praise come from our lips. May it be a story that we tell to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our families, to the people that we meet along the way. The story of your goodness to us, your salvation. Today, open our eyes, open our ears. Just give us one more glimpse of who you are and what you have for us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, Christmas just happened, right? It was just, just the other day. You guys do okay? Like, everything, everybody survived? Um, relatively unscathed, you know, I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things. Christmas is always this, uh, this really interesting time of the year where, where we get to, we, you know, we celebrate um, <laughs> the person that we call the Prince of Peace, yet we get together with our families, and sometimes there's peace that ensues, and sometimes it's not. Uh, sometimes it gets really interesting, sometimes it's really great. It, it's this whole wide gamut, like it can be anything at all. Uh, and, and what I like really start to, to have noticed about Christmas is that it is in itself, it's a very, uh, it, it's a very interesting holiday. Like it, it, it defies convention. It's not uh, what you would expect, right? Uh, because it's, it's this thing, we celebrate a baby, but it's in the midst of all this like chaos and all this loudness. But anytime that there's ever a baby around, what do you always tell people? Shh. Shh. Right? It's like, it's, it's this, it's, it's almost like Christmas brings out uh, the exact opposite of what we would expect. And in fact, that's actually what we celebrate about Christmas, is that in giving, uh, in, in God giving us his son, he does this in a way that none of us would expect, that if we had planned it, we certainly would not have done it this way, right? Um, you've got uh, the king of, of all creation that, uh, that comes to earth as a baby. Uh, you have, uh, instead of a palace, he is in this, like, stable that's attached to the back of an inn because nobody else is willing to give up a room. Uh, you've got uh, this teenage girl that, uh, oh man, this poor girl that has carried the Savior for nine months and, and near the end of that nine months goes on a journey on a donkey into a town that she's never been to before. Uh, and then there she gives birth to this baby and there are angels and there are shepherds and undeniably there's got to be a donkey or a sheep around there somewhere and then you have Joseph right Joseph is the, the the unwitting husband that really had no idea what he was getting himself into and yet he is there it, it's this this super uh it's odd it, I mean it really it, it's it's different but the cool thing about this is is it's it, normally when when different happens we all tend to get like like really anxious, like we like I don't know about you guys, but I you know I mean if if ever uh, my routine gets gets you know severely messed up, like if something happens that just completely throws it off, like it, it's it's weird, it's hard to adjust, it feels uncomfortable, but yet at Christmas it's this this uh, this wrench in the works, this 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 uh, hiccup in the routine, this this uh, this abnormal sight that we actually celebrate. And what is amazing to me is that if you fast forward all the way to the cross, we celebrate that same exact thing again. We have the king of all creation who dies the death of a criminal. And yet, 
he doesn't stay dead, right? I mean, normally anybody that we know that, that passes on, they stay that way, but not him. No, he takes, you know, what everyone is expecting and he flips it completely upside down. And three days later, he's there again, right? And, and it's, it's this, this whole idea that that is what Jesus does in his birth and in his death and resurrection that we celebrate every single week here at church. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we do. As Christians, we live our lives knowing that God became a man and that as that man, he died for our sins and he rose again on the third day. Like, those are the, the basic, like, core principles of what we believe here. But what I think is kind of interesting is um, <laughs> I think we have this tendency to isolate Jesus is uh, his penchant for turning our entire world upside down, like for turning all of our expectations upside down, for doing the exact opposite of what we were expecting. We, we tend to isolate it to his birth and to his death and resurrection. And, and in between, we kind of forget that he does this like, like every day. This is, this is how he operates. Everything that he does is he walks into a situation. He says, all right, everybody in the room, what do you think is going to happen? good, I'm going to do the other thing that no one said, and then I'm going to show you why what you thought is actually wrong, and what I think is actually right, and then I'm going to do that thing that I think that you didn't think of, and then I'm going to show you how that's actually better. That's, I mean, that's how he does it. He, he just walks into a room and flips everything upside down, and then walks to another room and does the same thing. It's day in and day out. Every person that he meets, every conversation that he has, everything that we know about him, he defies expectation. And it does not stop in the manger. And it doesn't just pick back up at the cross. So uh, today I want to look at a... um, at a passage that is still part of the Christmas story. It's one that we, we generally, I don't, know, I don't know why, but we end up kind of leaving this one off uh, for the most part. We don't, we don't really go into this one as much normally. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says this, Now when they had departed, this being the, uh, the wise men, the men from, from the east, uh, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. All right, now this is, I don't know about you guys. Uh, in your experience, but I remember when my son was in that, you know, one to two years old range, um, like I said, when, <laughs> when, when my uh, routine gets shaken up, uh, it, uh, it's just, you, you, you rail against it, like it's like, oh man, and that was exactly what happened in our household um, when he was young, like, it, I mean, nothing made sense anymore, night was day, um, he w- was crying, we assume, because, you know, he, he was hungry, but you'd try and feed him, and he wouldn't eat it. Um, and then, then you, you would get, you know, it's like, it was like the meeting of the minds. Like, you're staring at him like, I know you can't talk, and I know you can't understand me, but we've got to come to some agreement here as to what's going on right now, and why you're screaming, and why I'm about to be screaming. And it's, a, you know, this whole thing, it just, it's, everything gets shaken up, and Jesus, with his parents, is absolutely no exception, if not even more, 
than what any of us have experienced because when he is but not even two years old, suddenly Joseph is confronted with this reality that Herod is going to kill every child under two years old in hopes that he is going to also kill Jesus himself. Um, And so he takes Mary and Jesus and they escape to Egypt. Now, it doesn't just shake up Mary and Joseph's world. This shakes up the entire Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament is, uh, the long and short of it is you have this story of God taking a people and making them his people. Uh, He takes the nation of Israel and he makes them the chosen people of God. But they go through a whole big old mess in the the process of ever getting there, right? And so one of the things that they do is, is in the first 400 years of them being a people, they live in Egypt, uh, which is where Joseph is taking Jesus and Mary. But over the course of that 400 years, they're not just living in Egypt, they are enslaved in Egypt, And uh, so as you get to the story of Moses, uh, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, um, this whole idea is that they are, they are going to, to cast off this burden of slavery the, the evil Egyptians have placed on them. And so as, you know, as, as they're, then they go and they go through the, through the parting of the Red Sea and they're out in the desert for 40 years and all throughout this 40 years, what ends up happening is the Israelites, they complain just like you would, just like I would. You know, we, we give them a hard time because they complain a lot. I don't like being in the car for more than 40 minutes. Um, so, I mean, they're in the desert for 40 years. I think complaining make. I mean, again, I don't, I'm not saying it's right, but it makes sense, right? And what they often would say is, we were better off in Egypt. And Moses would have to remind them of what Egypt actually looked like. Egypt was 18 to 20 hour days of manual forced labor. Egypt was uh, very little rest. It was very little food. It was very little water. It was uh, being regarded as not even second, but I mean, 30th class citizens. Like they, they were not even considered people. They were told how many children they could have. Um, and it was, uh, it was, if it were boys, it was zero. Um, and if it was girls, maybe one, if they were lucky. Uh, but like they were, their entire day was dictated for them and it was not done so kindly. Um, and so what they would often refer to uh, this, this entire period of time, uh, this slavery that they were under, they would just refer to it as Egypt. Like, it wasn't even like this time period. It wasn't even like this, for them, like, if you even said in Jesus' time, like, to someone, if you went up to somebody and be like, oh, Egypt, that's all you had to say. Like, it was like everybody knew exactly what you meant. That you meant this idea of, of you felt like you were being oppressed. You felt like there was something that you couldn't shake off. There was something that was trying to keep you down, and, and you were trying to push forward, but it just kept dragging you back down. Egypt was slavery. And so, as, uh, as, the, as the Israelites made their way out of Egypt, they began to celebrate the Passover. And, it, you know, it's celebrating uh, in the 10th plague when the angel of the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelite children when, when, uh, when the, in the houses of the Egyptians when the firstborn son was killed. And so they, they, they often, during that time of the Passover, that was, a, that was a celebration of saying, we are free of Egypt. And whatever we do, we don't want to go back. 
because we know what going back means. It means forced labor. It means being considered like less than nothing. And yet, at two years old, baby Jesus uh, puts Joseph in a very interesting situation where he actually has to take Jesus and Mary back to Egypt, and Egypt becomes a refuge. Now, again, for us, this may not seem like a big deal, but this is huge for Joseph. Like, he's got to be thinking, are you kidding me? I could go anywhere else, and you want me to go you want me to go back to Egypt? The one thing that we always say, at least we're not in Egypt. Like, that's literally what he was having to do, is he had to say, okay, fine, I'll go to Egypt. And again, and again, and again, in Jesus' life, he, uh, he takes what everyone expects, what everyone thinks is normal, what everyone thinks is right, what everyone thinks is good, and he completely flips it upside down. Uh, he goes to John in, in the river, and John looks at him and says, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. It's not what John was expecting. He goes and he calls his disciples. His disciples, normally when someone would go and call disciples, they would go and look for the brightest and the best. Jesus goes and looks for fishermen and tax collectors. When in, in the, you know, the, the climate, the time of, of Jesus' life, Women and children, they weren't considered, they certainly weren't considered first-class citizens. It was was an adult male-dominated world. But yet, what does Jesus do? He approaches the woman at the well. Uh, Two of his very best friends in the entire world are Mary and Martha. Um, When when Jesus leaves and and there's someone left to carry on his ministry, uh, it's Mary, it's Martha, it's Mary, his mother, um, that alongside the disciples carry on the ministry of the church. Uh, when the children are trying to get to Jesus, the disciples keep trying to push him away. And what does Jesus say? No, let the children come to me. It's, I mean, it's, it's like clockwork for him. It's every single thing that, that happens, every single thing that someone says, every single thing that someone does, and then they turn to him and they, they, they're expecting him to agree with them. John saying, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. And he's looking at Jesus thinking he's going to say, good point, John. And no, that's not how it works. It's, uh, you know, the the disciples trying to keep the kids back. And they look back at Jesus and they're like, aren't we doing a great job of corralling these kids? And he's like, no, this is terrible, let them come on. You know, it's every time someone looks to him to say, am I doing the right thing? Nope. No, no, not Not quite. But here's the, the rub. Like, this is where this, I think, this, this gets tough for us, is uh, we do the same exact thing. Um, you see, there's one point, Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, and he tells his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem so that he must die. And Peter gets it in his, in his mind. Now, this is Peter. He's been with Jesus for three years. He's been corrected a number of times. Uh, but he says, you know, there's no way that Jesus is going to be allowed to go and die. This can't happen. That's not what you're here for. And so he says, this cannot be true. Jesus looks him square in the eye, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. 
right? I mean, this is, this is painful. This is not just a, no, you're wrong. This is not just a, oh, no, that's not what I want. I want this. Let me show you why you're wrong and I'm Jesus. Like, this is, this is he is literally looking at the one guy who is trying the hardest to do what Jesus wants him to do. He's trying the hardest to serve the Messiah. And Jesus looks him right in the eye and says, you are the devil himself. Ouch. But isn't that what the devil does? Isn't that what our enemy does? He, he gets us to this point where we, uh, we believe in Jesus, we love Jesus, we commit to serve Jesus, but then Jesus says something. And we try and rationalize out why this person that we love and this person that we serve is wrong. That's what Peter did. And Jesus called him out for it exactly for what it was, that he was, in that moment, he may as well have been the devil himself. And now, if you're anything like me at this point, this is what I start thinking is, okay, but I don't do that. <laughs> Let's find out. All right, let's look at uh, Jesus gives this amazing, like, this, it's like this cluster of teachings in Matthew chapter 5 to 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and what I want to do is I just want to read through a couple of these things, uh, and then I want you to pay attention to what I'm reading, but I also want you to pay attention to what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Uh, and, and, and let's figure out, as I'm reading the, the actual words of Jesus, do we agree with him? Or do we start trying to rationalize out what he is saying to where he doesn't actually mean what he says? Here we go. All right, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus just said, do not be angry, or you will go to hell. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's try it again. We'll keep reading. Uh, verse 27, he says this. He says, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Okay. All right. So now, Jesus just said, don't lust or you'll go to hell. But he does give one really easy way out. If you, if you have wandering eyes, just gouge them out. Okay. All right. Verse 38. Here we go. Uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him <clears throat> the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Uh, Jesus just told us that we're not allowed to defend ourselves against evil. 
Verse 43 says, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Here Jesus is quite frankly telling us to love and pray for our enemies. In chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here Jesus sets God and money up as mutually exclusive ideas. You can serve one, but not both. He's asking us to choose. And in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that you uh, be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here he is telling us not to judge other people. Okay, now let's take a look at this list for a second, all right? Um, and, and, and imagine, I mean, certainly this has got to be, whew, man, this is eye-opening, especially to the people that are, that are sitting around. This, he's on the side of a mountain. He's got quite the crowd. He is, I mean, this is like rapid fire. Like, he is just, like, throwing them at him. Like, a lot of times, um, what, you know, like, what we'll do here is we'll, we'll, we'll pick a topic. Like, we'll pick a thing, and we'll focus on it, and we'll spend, you know, a half hour or so talking about that thing. Jesus is just like, boom, 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 boom. Here we go. But how'd you do on the test of, of trying to figure out, do we agree? Do we try and rationalize these things out? If you're like me, and I'm, because you're like me, because we're all people, because we are not Jesus, I find myself wanting to agree. But I also find myself wanting to say, yeah, but he doesn't mean that. Right? I mean, that's, that's where we get. Like, it, it, it's, it's interesting to me that at the, at the nativity, at, at, at Jesus' birth, we say, God is so good because he chose to send his only son, the God that created the entire world. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is incredible. But he made him a baby. And we celebrate that. And then at the end, with the cross, we say, and God takes his son and casts all of the weight of all of the sin of all of mankind on his shoulders as he is nailed to a cross. And he dies for that sin, though he did not commit a single one of them. And then three days later, unlike anything anyone would have expected, even though Jesus told them ahead of time, he's risen from the dead. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that in those two instances, God takes everything that we expect, everything that we would have done, and flips it completely on his head, does the opposite, and makes it work. 
and we celebrate those things. But when we get into the point in Jesus' ministry where he talks, he does the exact same thing. He takes everything that we expect, everything that we would want, and he flips it upside down, but we don't, we don't, we don't celebrate it as much. I think, I, think we, um, I think at best we fear it, and I think at worst we ignore it. Because what we end up doing is on that, uh, that list, we, we end up saying, uh, Jesus doesn't really mean that we need to love our enemies. Because, because we love our families, right? We love, uh, we love each other. We, you know, we love the people that we love. And obviously, we, he doesn't mean that we have, we have to love our enemies that same way, right? Because that's, that's really hard to do. So what he probably means is that we can still hate them. We just got we, we we're supposed to be nice to them. Right? Or he says uh you know when when he says that we, we shouldn't defend ourselves, um that we shouldn't defend ourselves against evil. Uh man, one of the things we're really quick to jump to is that we have a constitutional right to defend ourselves. Ah, that's a tough one. Because in our country, we hold our constitution very high. But we have to find the right spot for the words of Jesus in that as well. What does Jesus say? And how does that impact the rest of our lives? We want to be able to defend ourselves. We do. I mean, that's, that's man, that's like human nature. And that's, the, that's, the, that's what we say. It's, it's human nature. It's funny. Because I think human nature is exactly what Jesus came to tell us we probably shouldn't be doing. When uh, Jesus uh, says that we, uh, you know, we should despise money, you know, that we can't serve God and money because we'll despise one and love the other, he, he doesn't really mean, like, he doesn't mean that we should despise money. Instead, he, he means that we need to find a balance, right? We need to find, we need to find a, a balance between uh, having money and things and giving. Like, you know, if, if, you, if, if you have this much, you should give, you know, this much. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, we, we need to give en- enough, 10%. You know, we need to give something. We need to give something in there. And again, notice how what we do is we take very concrete things that Jesus says and we, we, we make them very uh, fuzzy. We make them very foggy. We make them very hard to pin down. Um, we, we make it where, well, okay, you know, yeah, Jesus said this, but that might mean something different for you as it, than it means for me. And, you know, we, we, so we do that, and what we do is we end up taking almost all of the, like, the meaning out of what Jesus says. Because if it's different for you than it is for me, and it's different for you than it is for him and for her, like, if it's different for everybody, then it really can just mean whatever we want it to mean, and then it means nothing. When, uh, when Jesus says that, uh, that we shouldn't judge others, he doesn't, he doesn't really mean that we shouldn't judge them. Because some things are just right and some things are just wrong. Like what, what he really means is that we should, uh, that when we judge people, we just need to, we need to rebrand it a little bit. We need to say that we're helping them. Because that, that's more comfortable. 
right? Like it's, it, or uh, we, we can judge, but as long as we say bless their heart at the end of it, it's that sort of thing. You know, it's like, oh goodness, can you believe what he did? Bless his heart. Ah, uh, he's just the word, bless, God loves him, you know. It's, the, you know, it's that sort of thing. It's like we, or, uh, or the, uh, oh, did you hear about what so-and-so, oh man, we should, we should pray for them because they're so terrible. Like it's, it, we, but we do this, and, I'm, and this is where this really gets difficult because this is, this, is, this is me having to be just as transparent as I'm asking you to be about yourselves uh, because at the end of the day, man, I read these words of Jesus and my very first thought is, okay, he, okay well, I mean, he doesn't mean to gouge my eyes out. I don't know that we have any reason to think that Jesus doesn't mean exactly what he says when he says it. I mean, there's nothing about it. Like, if, um, oh man, you know, you go to, uh, you go to, to a, a play, or you go and, and see a movie, or you go and, and watch a TV, there, there's, there's, there's an, there, you get the sense that this is, this is, that there's acting, that this is, this is in some way made up, you know, but Jesus, like, he never gives that pretense at the beginning of it. He, he never says, like, I'm going to tell you some things, and then I'm going to ask you what you think. Like, and there's never that, like, I'm going to tell you some things, we're going to leave it open to interpretation. Uh, actually, at this point, and especially in this sermon, man, he, I mean, hard hitting stuff like it's and again it's not easy stuff to hear but he just one right after another after another and he doesn't offer very many clarifying thoughts on it he doesn't tell us what that looks like uh on a practical level like well how am i supposed to do that like how am i supposed to love my enemy and he doesn't doesn't give us a whole lot of details there or uh, uh how do i stop being angry how do I how do I do that? Uh, that mm, that's not in there. Uh, but what is is don't be angry. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And and suddenly we start realizing that the things that that we think about ourselves, about our uh, our friends, about our family, about our our, our nation, about our entire world. I think, I think where the danger really comes in is what we do is we form our own opinions of what is right. And we start there. And then we go and we look at what Jesus said and we find a way to, to bend what he says around our already formed opinion. But what Jesus came to do he says he came to seek and to save the lost. We have to start with the understanding that if we have come to a conclusion on our very own, if we have, if we have formed our own opinion, and especially in our, in our culture, we are taught that if, if, we, can, if we can do the research, if we, can, if we can form our opinion, if we need to know what we think and what we believe and then stand up for what, what we believe, but if we start with us, broken people that are not Jesus, and then we form that opinion or we form that thought to where it is solid, and then we look at what Jesus says and we try and make what he says fit what we think, I think we miss it. 
I, I think there's a point where we have to realize that the gospel, what Jesus does, what he says, what he is telling us to do, it should make us uncomfortable. It, it should make, oh man, it should, we should realize this is not going to be easy. Um, and we should realize that, that it's a journey, that I don't think there, man, you know, the idea that just suddenly uh, one day, boom, I'm never going to be angry again. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be great. Uh, but in the meantime, I have to work on it. Um, Jesus says that if, if someone strikes you on one cheek to offer them the other, uh, I'll be real honest, that's, that would, certainly would not be my first reaction. Um, but if I, if I believe that the God of the universe became a baby, and if I believe that that very same God of the universe took my sin on his shoulders and died a, a, a criminal's death on the cross, and then rose again three days later, if I believe those things on the outside, like if I, if I believe those things that are so, so un-Josh-like, they're so un me, they're, they're the opposite of what I would have done, then I have to, man, I, I have to be willing to at least begin to entertain the idea that maybe the things that Jesus says and maybe the things that Jesus did, those things are also un-Josh, and they're, they're un-me, and they're probably un-you as well, and that's why we are here. Because we're hopefully trying to figure this out together. Um, I would love to be able to give you like some, you know, here's a checklist that you can post on your refrigerator uh, every morning to make sure that you're doing all the things that Jesus told you to do. Like I would love to be able to do that. And and at the end, you know, you read at the beginning of the day, and then at the end of the day, you check off the list, and then we're all doing great. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's that easy. Um. So here, here's the challenge. Here, here, here's where we go from here. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a three-step process. <laughs> that sounds like it's going to be easy. It's, it's, it's this step, the third step. It's going to be really hard. Uh, go home. Step one, easy. You got that. At some point, this service is going to be over. You're going to go somewhere. You're probably going home. Uh, number two, read the things that Jesus said. Uh, if you need a place to start, Matthew 5 to 7 is a great one. Um, read the things that Jesus said. And then number three, do those things. Right? And that's like the simplest thing like you ever heard. Like, I mean, wow, church was really uh, informative today. Like, we, uh, we found out that we should go home, read what Jesus said, and then do that. Uh, man. It may sound to be the simplest assignment you've ever gotten, um, but I think if you take it seriously, I think you'll find that it will take the rest of your life and that it will change you in ways that you were not expecting. It will take your entire world. It will flip it upside down. It will make you uncomfortable. You will at times rail against it. But I think that's on purpose. I think that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. And I think that we have to admit sometimes that that's us. 
That's us. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we thank you for today. Um, we, thank you for, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, coming to be a, a baby, which makes zero sense. I mean, it just makes no sense. And the fact that he's born in a stable and he's laid in a manger and his mother is a teenage girl that is probably scared out of her mind and he is raised by uh, an unwitting husband that just has no idea what he's gotten himself into. He lives in a, uh, a town that neither of his parents have probably ever been to before. And then at two, he, he has to go back to Egypt, which is the one place that they tell him never to go. But yet, in this whole process, we start seeing this recurring theme of your life among us. That every, every time someone encounters you, you turn their world completely upside down. God, at the, at the risk of, oh man, uh, at the risk of, of, of almost not even wanting to pray it. God, God would, you, would you make every encounter that you have with us the same? Would you take our world and would you flip it upside down? Would you make us uncomfortable? Would you make us, man, would you make it hurt a little bit? Because God, at the end of the day, I don't want to be one of the people that says, I know exactly what I think, and I'm going to make your words fit mine. God, help, help me to make my life fit yours. Help us to do that. And God, if it means tearing down some of the opinions, some of the thoughts, some of the, the ideas, the ideals that we hold so dearly, if, if that's what it takes to be more like you, if that's what it takes to be closer to you, God, help us to realize that though it may hurt and though it may be difficult, that it is well worth it because in the end you give the exact same promise that we need you have promised your disciples there on the hillside that you will be with us always even to the end of the age so God if it means being uncomfortable now to be with you always to the end of the age make us uncomfortable it's in your name we pray that I face Stronger than the power of the grave Constant in the trial and the change One thing remains One Love and faith.
fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. If you hear nothing else today, um, hear that the same God that calls you to have your world turned upside down is the same God that will walk through that with you. Um, when Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, um, remember what he's actually saying here. He He's not saying, get out of the way, Satan. Like He's not, he's not like saying, Peter, I'm done with you. He's, he's like saying, no, I'm, I'm walking to Jerusalem. Get behind me. Come on. Let's go. Um, and that wrecks Peter's world. I mean, that wrecks Peter's world. But Peter is still in Jerusalem with Jesus. And he will go with you. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for Whitechapel. Thank you for what it means to be a part of this family. Thank you that this is a place where we get the opportunity to look at what you said and uh, and then we get the rest of our lives to try and figure out how to actually do those things that you've called us to do. God, may we never stop. Uh, may we never say, you know what, it would just be easier for me to, to do this, to, uh, to take on some lesser form of what you said. Uh, I, don't, I don't think any one of us here wants that. I don't think any of us want... Uh, a watered-down gospel. I don't think any, any of us here want less than what you have commanded or less than what you have promised. And, and so, God, just give us, give us the strength that we need to push forward. Give us the grace that we need for when we fail. And, uh, and God, we're just going gonna to give you the praise that you deserve because at the end of it all, we know that apart from you, we, we cannot succeed. We cannot do this. So God, we love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week.